Who doesn't love a good fight? Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match for the heavyweight championship of the world. Are you ready? Are you ready? For the thousands in attendance, ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble! A bit of conflict, a bit of a fight, a bit of a rumble can be very entertaining, Dap Leopard friends. That's why it's at the heart of all good stories. Whether that be the world of wrestling, classic novels, the shows on Broadway or the West End, or indeed in the heartache and longing in a million love songs or ballads. Conflict creates tension and tension draws in the audience. Can the problem be overcome? That's the question that keeps us reading, watching or listening. And when two opposition forces collide, well, it can be a recipe for something very enjoyable. Def Leppard have lots of songs about conflict. And in this, episode 9 of the officially unofficial Def Leppard podcast, Def Leppard Pod, we're going to take a look at one song in particular, When Love and Hate Collide. It's a song not only about conflict, but as you'll discover, it's a thing of beauty that also rolls up its sleeves clenches his fists and can become involved in all sorts of brawls outside the ring too. So, let's go. Right then, so When Love and Hate Collide, it's written by Joe Elliott and Rick Savage, and it's released as a single by The Leps on the 2nd of October 1995. It doesn't feature on an original album, but instead as an additional and new track on the band's greatest hit album, Vault. Vault itself is released a few weeks later on the 23rd of October 1995. Now to put all of this into a bit of context, and so you know where you are on the Def Leppard timeline, the Leps have released the Adrenalize album in 1992, the Retroactive album in 1993, nothing happens in 1994, When Love and Hate Collide and Vault, as mentioned, come along in late 1995, and the following year, in 1996, Def Leppard will release the album Slang. The first appearance of conflict in the When Love and Hate Collide story occurs, of course, in the lyrical content of the song itself. It's a well-worn trope of the ballad, all about a lover's tiff, an argument, a falling out if you will. Two people in a relationship having a fight, as the lyrics say, treating each other like an act of war. Now, you have to remember, this is 1995, so there's a distinct lack of cell phone or mobile phone going on here. This is four years before the good old Nokia 3210, which comes out in 1999. And as a consequence, there's some serious landline vandalism going on here. 
The lady Joe sings about is slamming down the phone for the hundredth time. No one is slamming down a brand new expensive iPhone in this day and age. And anyway, you just need a quick swipe with the thumb to end that call. No slamming down required. And Joe's got a number that he's not going to call on the wall. There's no convenient contacts in the cell phone here in those antiquated days. But although some of the technology might be anachronistic, the struggle and fighting of lovers as subject matter is timeless. And with the external conflict between the two people also comes the internal conflict too. In the song, you can love someone and hate them at the same time. This is your love and hate colliding, Leopard Friends. This makes things decidedly tricky. If someone is getting on your nerves, then bin them off. Split up. Easy. But no, not so much for our narrative voice in When Love and Hate Collide. He doesn't want to fight no more. He doesn't even know what to fight him for. And because he digs the phone-slamming vandal that he's singing to, then one night alone is like a year without her, and he can't stop the hurt inside. He's so going to call her, isn't he? So yes, conflict on two levels in the lyrics there. Hardly Shakespeare in linguistic presentation, but at the same time, pretty much writing about the same timeless human emotions and conditions of the late 16th century and early 17th centuries, matters of the heart never age. So let's step outside the song itself for a bit and dig for some conflict linked to the song. To begin with, let's start with this clip from 1996 of VJ Toby Amos from MTV Europe and its confrontation with Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols who have just announced at this time they are to reunite for a lucrative tour. I think you'll be begging for more. Yeah. Damn fine. We're damn fine. We hate music, but we're the best at it. What do you think you can offer a 16-year-old Green Day fan that Green Day can't? Big Willie. Fair enough. I haven't seen their sizes, but I'll take your word on that one. The real thing, basically, we can offer them. Yeah. What more do they want? Yeah. Green Day fans haven't seen nothing. They think they have, but they haven't seen nothing. Why not? Because it's all so wet and second-hand. Well, isn't this a bit second-hand, though? Well, no, we invented it, and we shall continue. Did you ever see it? Did I? No, I'm too young. Then it's not second hand, is it? I've seen it all, though. No, no. you haven't seen it in no. English. No. You've seen the imitators. Come on, Johnny. Didn't I sort you lot out of? Have you passed it? Uh, Come on, you're a bit old for this. I've passed your interview, yeah. There ain't nothing wrong with being old, oh, sunshine. You honestly think you can do something new? As you can hear, and this is quite true to form of MTV Europe's approach in the 1990s, from about 1992 onwards, there is a bit of needle with music's elder statesmen and a question of their credibility and relevance at this time. Now, to be fair to Toby Amys, you sense that his slightly blunt, confrontational approach here is at least in part to the Sex Pistols themselves. Now you can find the whole interview on YouTube and as you know we're a family show here on Def Leppard Pod so I'll keep it light but they really are acting like a bad gang of bellends and deserve to be taken down a peg or two in Def Leppard's opinion. However, those of you with a keen interest in Def Leppard's side projects will be glad to know that the Sex Pistols drummer Paul Cook who plays drums in Phil Collins' Man Rays is by far the least obnoxious so we'll give him a free pass here. However, it's one thing standing up for yourself against the fakery of the try-hard middle-aged Sex Pistols, but Toby Amos takes it a step too far when in an interview with the Leps a few months earlier about Vault 
and when love and hate collide, he has the audacity to call our mates cheeky. There are 16 tracks on Vault, but strictly speaking, they're not all greatest hits. When Love and Hate Collide, the new single, has never been recorded until now, though the band have had it floating around for a few years. But wasn't it a bit cheeky putting a brand new track on a hits compilation? Well, no, I don't think it's cheeky. I mean, you, you hope that that's going to become a hit as well. I mean, it would look a bit out of place if it didn't, but it seems to be doing well. So, I mean, we're fortunate in that respect. But you need we, we wanted to put a new song out there just to actually let people know what what is happening and it, it's it's basically a good advertisement for the album you know if the single does well it's like well here's, it, it's a it's a brand new track as well as far as the people are concerned now toby presented a program called alternative nation and actually remembered it said it was good good old wikipedia also states that he has interests and i quote in fringe culture and alternative perspectives it's therefore safe to say he's unlikely in the 90s to be a big fan of a commercially successful hard rock band formed in the late 70s who have sold millions and millions upon records. In the mid-1990s, the alternative guy operating in a new musical climate is always going to chance his arm to try and fabricate some low-level conflict in his interview. He's asking... Is it a bit presumptuous and arrogant to put a new song on a greatest hits album and expect it to be successful and in doing so fit that criteria or definition of a greatest hit? And I suppose it's a valid journalistic question. However, as a fan, Def Leppard was thinking, ooh, great, a new song. I didn't know I was going to get this on a greatest hits album. It's less of a case that I'm going to start a rumble over the audacity of them having confidence in including the song, but far more likely I'll get the boys together and give them a big hug for not making me wait yet another million years for some new material. And I don't even care that Sav's explanation is slightly mercenary when he says it's effectively to bring attention to the release of Vault so they can sell more copies. Ever since Sgt Pepper in 1967, when it's commonly considered that the album at this point takes prominence over the single as the main form of consuming and experiencing music, well singles have effectively just been advertisements to sell those albums. It's not a radical point of view from Savia, it's just a really honest one. Now we have a bit of manufactured conflict here from MTV, with the inclusion of When Love and Hate Collide on Vault, but the real dirty bust-up lies just ahead. Let me just stop right here and say this. The devil has always used music as a cue to bow. Be careful, young lady, what you let yourself listen to. Be careful, young man, what you allow in your earbuds. Ah. Be careful. Because you don't know what music does to you psychologically. As it plays. Driving down endless road, taking friends all moving the road. Pressure at the fairground on the way. Be careful what you listen to, indeed, Def Leppard friends. Unfortunately, it's advice that the British public didn't heed in the autumn or fall of 1995. 
and somehow, with complete bewilderment, they lost their minds and collectively bought enough copies of Fairground by Simply Red to send it to number one and prevent Def Leppard from having their first ever number one single and kept When Love and Hate Collide at number two. Now, this has happened before in the UK in 1992. Stay by Shakespeare's sister kept Let's Get Rocked off the number one spot and pegged it back at number two. But that's okay, at least Stay was a bit different, a bit quirky and had something that at least resembled a melody. But Fairground by Simply Red, man, it's complete dirge, it's a war crime of a song. And that's the thing about a scrap, sometimes the wrong person wins. And I think deep down Mick Hucknell of Simply Red knows this and is deeply, deeply ashamed by this transgression. So, how did When Love and Hate Collide fare in its other chart battles around the world? For those of you who've listened to the previous episodes of Def Left Pod, we'll take a look first at what you know to be the most important of the geographical musical markets, the Netherlands. When Love and Hate Collide reaches number 41 in the Netherlands, And indeed, this borderline average to poor chart position is actually a bit of an outlier because the trend tends to be that the song either makes a really good fist of its chart battle or is trampled underfoot, depending on where it occurs in the world. The successes come in the Irish, UK and Canadian charts, where it peaks at number one, number two and number six, respectively. And it is a bona fide hit. Take that, Toby Amy's. It does fairly well in Australia too, reaching number 22. However, it's not a hit in the US and only reaches 58. It does even worse in Germany where it only reaches 67. Now we can only speculate why there's such a divergence in the song's performance in its chart battles all around the world. But it does seem to be a universal truth that outside of the 1987 to 1993 period that encompasses hysteria, adrenalise and retroactive, and actually in recent years as well, that Def Leppard has its own yin and yang in operation. When they're not having particular success somewhere in the world, then some songs are going down very well somewhere else. Worldwide chart success and chart failure definitely collide in Def Leppard world. When Love and Hate Collide has cemented its place in a majority of set lists outside the US and as we'll see later is now a popular and widely acclaimed song amongst Def Leppard fans. However, poor old When Love and Hate Collide still has a fight on its hands to even be remembered correctly when being listed as a hit. Here's Brian May inducting Def Leppard into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, can I just remind you what some of those hits were? We got Bringing on the Heartbreak, <laughs> Photograph, Foolin', Pour Some Sugar, Armageddon It, Hysteria, Let's Get Rocked, When Worlds Collide, Animal, Love Bites, Rock of Ages, Rocket. It's a long, that isn't even the full list. They released 50 singles, most of which were hits, and many were number ones. Uh, But there was this kind of feeling abroad in the press and in the media, uh, particularly in the UK, as I say, that maybe that made them uncool. Well, let me tell you, those songs, the fact that they wrote real songs that people can sing and carry in their heads, 
is the reason that Def Leppard will be remembered in hearts and minds long after all of us have left the building. Ah, yes, songs remembered in hearts and minds, says Brian. Well, except when love and hate collide, where he can't even remember the name. When worlds collide, Brian, really? Just read what's in front of you, mate. Now, there is actually a Def Leppard song called Worlds Collide. So we'll give Brian the benefit of the doubt here that his head is so full of encyclopedic knowledge of Def Leppard's B-sides that he's gone and just got all mixed up and mixed up worlds collide with when love and hate collides. It's easily done. And of course, he does mean when love and hate collide. But spare a thought for the song Leppard's Friends as it fights to be remembered. Leave no song behind, soldier. Now regular listeners of Def Leppard Pod know that we like to beat our episode theme within an inch of its life, almost to the point where it loses credibility. Well, never want to disappoint, we've only gone and done it again. And as discussed, our song is about the dual existence of love and conflict in a relationship. Well, you'd be glad to know that the backing vocals to When Love and Hate Collide are sung by the very same lady who sings this. Yes, the lady who sings that body form is for you is none other than Stevie Van, formerly married to the famous Def Leppard producer Mutt Lang and known during this time of her marriage as Stevie Lang. Now, once upon a time, team Stevie and Mutt loved each other very, very much, but then they got divorced. However, despite this, the split was amicable and over the years she continued to work with Mutt as she did on the initial recording sessions for When Love and Hate Collide. And when the song was resurrected for the Greatest Hits album, as the record company wanted something, and I quote, syrupy, the original backing vocal was kept and Stevie's voice remained on the track that you hear today. See what joyous events can occur when couples can overcome conflict and learn to get along. It's marvellous. And as a quick aside, and to form a tenuous link to the next part of the episode... This is Stevie Van, again singing in a different advertisement and quite differently, which will be familiar to anyone from the UK over the age of 30. Susie's going to sing about a different kind of chocolatey biscuit. Trio! Too loud. Trio! I said that was too loud. I want a trio and I want one now. Yeah, well, we all do, man, but listen. Not one, not two, I mean, but three things I said chocolatey biscuit and a toffee taste too. Listen, could you just cool it? No three things are quite as good together as a trio. I appreciate that only 16% of the people who listen to this podcast are from the UK. And in doing so, I have just alienated around 84% of you. I apologise profusely. But to explain, a trio was a chocolate biscuit that came in three joint-up squares that you could snap off from one another. Unfortunately, the voiceover to the trio advert contains a troubling falsehood when it comes to when love and hate collide. He says that no three things are quite as good together as a trio. However, 
in the run-up to the completion of the Adrenalize album in 1992, there existed a trio of ballads written, When Love and Hate Collide, Tonight, and Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad. The band decided that three ballads was one too many and one had to go. These songs, these musical children, were in direct competition for their rightful place on the new album. I don't ever want to see you two fighting like that ever again. We love you both. You're not in competition with each other. Repeat, you are not in competition with each other. You're in direct competition. I want to see you both fighting for your parents' love. Fight, 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 fight. Fight indeed. Now you know and I know that this is a fight that when love and hate collide lost. Tonight, and have you ever needed someone so bad, made the adrenalized grade. And when love and hate collide was shunned by its musical dads. The questions are, I suppose, why and was it the right decision? Well, let's investigate. Now, fortunately, we have the luxury of being able to compare the original demos of When Love and Hate Collide and Tonight because they've both been released into the public domain. Now, if we consider that these demos are the main basis by which the Leps can make their decision, then we do get some insight into why things worked out the way that they did. So let's pitch the two demos up against each other in direct competition. First off, the demo to When Love and Hate Collide is of real historic importance and has real poignance. The backing track was recorded while Steve Clark was in rehab battling alcohol addiction. Now once out of rehab, the solo, the one that you're about to hear, was the very, very last thing that he ever recorded before his untimely death in January 1991. I won't compare this solo to Phil's in the 1995 version as it just seems unfair on Phil because of the emotional connection with this solo in the original demo of When Love and Hate Collide. But it's safe to say that if for this reason alone, it's great that the demo is accessible to all and we can enjoy Steve's playing. Clearly though, the band didn't know this would be Steve's last contribution to a Def Leppard song at that time and understandably, they wouldn't be making a decision on the basis of this solo being included in the song, which only now has this newfound meaning and newfound poignance. Now, if you listen to the demos and the original versions of both songs, I think it becomes clear why Tonight wins out. Here's 30 seconds of the demo version of Tonight, followed by 30 seconds of the final album version. See what you think.
as you can hear, they're extremely similar in both structure and actual sound. If you listen to the demo here, the song is effectively complete and fully formed and how they want it to sound. On the other hand, listen to a comparison between the demo and the final 1995 version of When Love and Hate Collide. As you can hear, the demo to When Love and Hate Collide is still some way off sounding like the final version. The drum machine doesn't do it any favours at all. Joe sounds miles away like he's locked in a cupboard or something. And it's just missing that X factor. And that X factor is arguably Michael Kamen's string section and or the actual production itself. Now obviously songs can evolve massively from the point of the demo recording and a better demo doesn't necessarily result in a better final song. However, when you consider that there's four years between Pyromania and Hysteria, and there's five years between Hysteria and Adrenalize, it's understandable that the band are going to opt for the song which needs less work doing to it, and is closer to being complete, just so they can get the album finished. And that being the case, it's understandable how Tonight wins out over When Love and Hate Collide. Because whether it's the demo version, the acoustic version or the final version of Tonight, that song pretty much sounds the same and the quality is consistent throughout. However, with When Love and Hate Collide, you've got a demo version, there's the final version, there's the version they play live electrically, there's an acoustic live version and there's a piano and string only version, which all sound quite different and the quality goes up and down depending on your own preference when you listen to each song. So regardless of what you think of these two songs and how they compare, it feels like tonight was the safer bet back in the early 90s. So that leaves When Love and Hate Collide in a straight fight with this song. With no demos to compare, it really does come down to personal opinion between the two ballads here, with the overly long song titles When Love and Hate Collide and Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad. Now you could be in the red corner cheering on Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad, imploring it to stamp on the head of When Love and Hate Collide, you animal. 
Or you could be in the blue corner imploring where love and hate collide to gouge out the eyes of have you ever needed someone so bad. And to be honest, at this point in time, I'd like to batter them both for having such cumbersome titles which are not conducive to constant repetition during a podcast. But anyway, Death Left Pod has recently run a highly scientific test that demonstrates it really is the toss of a coin over these two songs. So what we did on both Facebook and Twitter, a total of 687 Def Leppard fans chose their favourite out of the three contenders. When Love and Hate Collide, Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad? and Tonight. So, in third place was Tonight with 137 votes. Now, interestingly, although this had the lowest vote count, it was actually the song with the most comments and the most vocal support amongst those who voted for it. The word underrated came up a lot. And I think in mood and feel, it's quite different to When Love and Hate Collide and Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad. As well as the demo argument, I can certainly see how it was this song and one of the other two that provided the most diversity and variety if included on the Adrenalize album. In second place was Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad with 260 votes. And pipping it to the post to first place and without simply red to stop at this time was Love and Hate Collide with 30 more votes coming in at 290. So that's 260 versus 290. So although When Love and Hate Collide wins, I think the margin of the win here is so narrow and puts the choice between the two songs firmly in the either or category. History would suggest that Def Leppard got the decision right, commercially at least. The US has always been their main and most important commercial market. And the fact is, Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad was a hit, while When Love and Hate Collide wasn't. Now we'll never know if that's simply down to the songs themselves though. To some extent, the US had moved on from Def Leppard by 1995. Would Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad still have been a hit in 1995? Would When Love and Hate Collide have fared better in the States if it was released in 1992? And if it was released in 1992, how different would When Love and Hate Collide have sounded from the 95 version? Because Def Leppard only first used a string section in any of their songs in 1993, when Michael came and added them to Two Steps Behind for the soundtrack of The Last Action Hero. Now that event seems key in their openness and decision to use his expertise again in 1995 on When Love and Hate Collide. It's unlikely an adrenalised version of When Love and Hate Collide contains strings, and if so, how much of an impact does that have on how the song is received? So these are questions that we don't know and probably will never know the answers to. However, the complexity and nuances here suggest that whichever song you back in this three-way Royal Rumble, that there was never an obvious surefire winner. So Leopard Friends will be reaching our sure conclusion any minute now. But if you stick around after the usual crowd noise, we have an extended two steps behind section where I have a good 25-minute chat with one of our listeners all about When Love and Hate Collide, which provides his personal take and story with this song. Make sure you check it out. To conclude, When Love and Hate Collide is a song about fighting. However, it's a song that also hopes for reconciliation and a happy ending. Joe sings he doesn't want to fight no more and that he's got a love to believe in. 
despite all the rows and all the arguments. It's a song that points at the possibility of overcoming conflict to reach a positive outcome. Now there's lots of minor and major conflict in the story of this song. You've got the smug music journalist questioning its inclusion on a greatest hits album. You've got scraps at the top of the chart with the devil's music in the UK. You've got disappointment with its performance in the US chart. You've got a legendary guitarist forgetting its name as the band are inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You've got backing vocals from a feuding couple who learn to get along. You've got an original guitar solo from the guitarist fighting his own demons. And finally, you have When Love and Hate Collide losing a freeway fight with its musical siblings to make it onto album number five. However, When Love and Hate Collide, it dug in. It picked itself up from the floor. It stuck around until the time was right. And rather than taking a hit, it became a bona fide greatest hit when it finally had a chance to collide with our ears. Thanks for sticking around for the two steps behind section of the episode. For anyone who's not too sure what this part is, it's the part of the episode that follows closely behind the main part and where we chat about the song, but in a slightly different way and where we can, we try and get listeners' involvement. So this time round, we've got something a bit special for you. We've actually got a recording of a conversation I had with a gentleman called Paul Burns who had his own take on Well Love and Hate Collide and has got his own personal story about his relationship with the song. So without further ado, we'll crack on and you can have a listen to that conversation right now. Thanks for joining me, Paul, on Def Left Pod. You've obviously contributed to this section of the podcast before, the two steps behind part. So you sent in a really good email about Let It Go and Desert Song. So what happened was when I put out there at the end of the last podcast that we were going to do um, When Love and Hate Collide, you you got in touch with me and you said that this is like one of the most important songs in your life. So we thought what we do, we thought we'd get you on. So you're the first ever guest on Def Left Pod. And as we just discussed, I don't think either of us get much chance to speak to other people who are Def Leppard fans, so this is great. So I think really the platform is yours, Paul. Can you tell us your story about when love and hate collide and why it's just so important to you? Well, thank you very much for inviting me on, first of all. I really do appreciate having the opportunity just to talk about it, uh, as you've just alluded to. Um, I think I can remember the first time I ever heard this song. I reckon I can pin it to the date. So. Just have it. I had a look like at the, the kind of chart history of the song. So it debuts at number seven on the 14th of October 1995. So, and that's a Saturday. So I think that means I heard it for the first time on the 15th of October 1995. Um, 
and I can remember exactly where I was. We were driving back from somewhere with my mum and dad, and I'm in the back of the car, and we've got the the chart show on uh, Radio 1. So Bruno Brooks or whoever it is is doing the countdown. And at this point in the UK, the charts are still a very, very important thing. Um, Mm. And I I will kind of talk about that a little more in a second. Um, But as we're coming over the Barton Bridge, they're doing this big intro to this this new song that's in at number seven, which is a very high charting start for it. Um, and they're saying that Def Leppard are back. Let's get excited because Def Leppard are here. We've not heard from them for a while and all this. So but I'm in the back of the car. And to me, at that point, I've never even heard a Def Leppard song. I'm 14 years old. And yeah, I, I, as much as I could tell you about Def Leppard was they had a one-armed drummer. That's it. Yeah. That is as that is as much as I could uh, as I could tell you, and the they run a little interview with Joe beforehand. It's f- it's from that period when um, I can't remember. I think it's on the Visualize video or maybe the Historia video. I can't remember. There was a DVD release that had a couple of the old VHSs put onto one DVD. Yeah, and that's right. It's it's when they do the Whop and Take gig. Yeah, um, yeah, and and unleash and, and and release that plaque. So this was all promotion for the Vault album. Mm. And Joe has done this interview with Radio One, and so this is what I'm listening to. I'm listening to this uh, to this interview ahead of the song coming on. This is a, a time in my life at 14 where I would probably, in terms of music and what I was listening to, I would describe myself as musically homeless at this point. You'll you'll probably remember. Neil being living in the UK that at the time when when Love and Hate Collide is released we're, we're just two months removed from the Battle of Britpop now that probably doesn't mean a lot to listeners from outside the UK but here in the UK this was Oasis and Blur both yeah. releasing singles on the same day it was a cultural milestone in the UK it was a really really big deal I'd, I'd probably not going too far to say it was front page news it was it was you're right yeah. it- that, that chart battle uh, on that day, the Battle of Britpop and what have you, that very much reflected the musical culture of the time. So I'm at school in Manchester at the time, yeah. and everyone is listening to Oasis, Blur, Pulp. A few of the cool kids are listening to Suede and Radiohead. There's really not much in the way of what we might call traditional rock or hard rock or metal or anything like that knocking about at all. There's mm, the odd right. hard kid or the odd smelly kid who likes Metallica sort of thing, but really not. So it really wasn't doing much for me. I thought it was okay. I thought Oasis were okay, but I wasn't on the same gravy train that everybody else was. Now, the year before this, I had been put on to Green Day by some other lads. And Dookie, that was released in 1994, so the year earlier, that had been a really really big album for me I, yeah it's a great album it's a fabulous album to this day it's one of my favorite uh, albums of all time it brings back so many memories so i'd loved dookie and i'd loved insomniac and i think what those what those albums and what green day's music was hitting on the kind of preparing me for was those hard guitars and heavy melodies and I suppose it, you could maybe argue it of the first Oasis album that that was there, the hard guitars and the heavy melodies. But of everything else I've just mentioned really wasn't that. The, the guitars just didn't have that edge for me at all. So that was pretty much where I was with it. Yeah. I know those Green Day songs, they are, they are like, essentially three-minute pop songs, but yeah. with like heavy guitars or like distorted guitars. That's exactly what they are. So there's to me, there's, there's a lot of musical crossover, bizarrely, with Green Day and Def Leppard. Because yeah. 
Green Day is a you know they're a post punk band, um, but it you just said it. You said, I can't phrase it any better. It's the three minute pop song, the thing that Joe Elliott loves. Uh, that's hmm. that. That for me is what Green Day were doing, um, and it kind of harked back a little bit to songs that I'd loved when I was a little bit younger. So, um, Joyride by Roxette in 1990 was a song that I'd loved as a nine year old, and Wind of Change by the Scorpions that came along a year later. Yeah. So, there'd been seeds already sort of planted for the sort of thing that I was looking for from from music, and in fact. Earlier in 1995, I don't know if you remember this song. Do you remember a song called Independent Love Song by a band called Scarlet? I don't at all. I don't blame you or anyone. I mean, again, the outside the UK listeners will also probably not have a clue, I don't think, what I'm on about. This was a one-hit wonder in the UK by this band called Scarlet. I can't even remember where they're from, to be honest with you. But it got to number 12 in February 1995, and it's this huge, bombastic power ballad. But again, it had that harder melodic edge to it what was happening was so say in that february that year i'm saying to my mates you round at people's houses and all that and what have you and they're putting oasis on the stereo or whatever and it's always oasis basically where i was <laughs> um and they're putting oasis on the stereo me i'm saying oh, can we put the scarlet song on the one that was on top of the pops um and of course everyone's coming back oh paul that is naff you know it, it is just so naff and i'm sort of sat there thinking i, I don't think it's naff at all I think it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> this yeah. is, you know, it's 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 ticking some sort of primal box. So well, then, you, were yeah, just, you were just a young romantic, creative and sensitive, clearly. Well, do you know, it's funny that it is the ballads, isn't it? Because it, that t- ties in with, you know, the Vivian Campbell uh, thing in the, in the liner notes for the Best Of album, mm. where he talks about how the record company wanted something syrupy. That's the yeah. word he uses, isn't it? They wanted something syrupy for Vault. So clearly... I'd maybe needed the syrupy intro. That's probably where I was at the time. Like if you'd launched straight into something that was a bit heavier, maybe I would have been a bit intimidated by it at age 14. So certainly the syrupy stuff, you can see there's a theme there. We um, do have an interesting parallel there as well, Paul. My introduction to Def Leppard equally is a ballad. So mine is when I'm 10 years old in 1988 and Love Bites is the thing that gets me into Def Leppard and is then what is the launch pad into all of the music that I get into because I know that you like like heavier stuff like Maiden and things as well and I like a lot of heavy stuff and everything but for both of us the fit end of the wedge was actually a Def Leppard ballad that then sort of got us into heavier music oh absolutely when Love and Hate Collide is it's my gateway drug basically yeah 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 it's your weed (laughs) then you gotta (laughs) (laughs) exactly that because I, I am I mean I love anything that's hard rock slash metal is what I love and I don't, I don't know if I'd ever have got there had it not been for hearing this song on the 15th of October 1995. Because it's, So it's against this backdrop of having had those little seeds sown by other things, but not being overly interested in the music of the day. And then suddenly hearing this, what I thought from Listen One was an unbelievably beautiful song. I just thought it was absolutely gorgeous on Every conceivable level, whether it's lyrical, whether it's in terms of the vocal delivery, whether it's the guitars, uh, the guitar tones, however you undress the song, it's just mm. utterly. I mean, I haven't even mentioned the strings there. You know, like Michael Kamen strings that you come to learn more about, like as you as you start to read more about it as you yeah. as you get older. Um, so I was just absolutely spellbound by it. I just remember listening to it and going, right. There was something inside me that just 
twigged. That's the thing that I've been looking for. That's the bit that's been missing. Somehow, someway, this band have, with this particular song, so I can't say I fell in love with the band straight away because it was just, it was this song, but this song just bang, huge tick. I like that and I want more of it. So at this point, it could have, you could, you could have got into Def Leppard. You could have got into Scarlet. <laughs> is that what it's called? <laughs> you, you, you chose the righteous path. And rather than going down a Scarlet path, you go down a Def Leppard path. What are you doing next? What happens after that? So Vault got a lot of very heavy promotion in the UK mm. in the build-up to, to Christmas 1995. There was television adverts for it. There's adverts on the radio. Um, it was an album that did very, very well. So I don't know off the top of my head like what the sales figures are for it, but it did extremely well here in the UK, mm. Vault. Because they were coming off the back of two big hit albums anyway, like in terms of obviously hysteria quite a few years back from this point. But Adrenalize had done really well in the UK. I think it shifted something like three million copies. There was a friend of mine who was buying Vault for his brother. And I can't remember exactly when it was, but some point, say early to mid-1996, I eventually get hold of this lad's copy of vault so anthony ledbetter if you're listening and you're wondering where your copy of vault is i've had it for the last 25 years and <laughs> and, it, and it lives with me now so you're never ever getting it back um, finders keepers paul finders keepers <laughs> exactly and the, so because what happened was proprietor out round at this uh, lad's house uh, vault would be on and in particular his, his brother was just playing photograph over and over. So mm. Photograph was the second Def Leppard song, if you like. And again, just listening to it and going, in my head, I'm thinking, this is well better than Champagne Supernova. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no contest here over yeah. what is more fun and more interesting to listen to, to me. It just, it wasn't a contest. So like I said, I ended up snatching Vault. He's never had it back. And which means that Vault was probably the single most important Def Leppard album, which is really woolly to pick, obviously, a, um, a best-of collection. Arab Call, when I, I ended up backpacking, well, ended up, I was backpacking in, um, this was in New Zealand in 2004, and we got talking to a load of lads, um, lads and girls who were, uh, I can't remember if they were Canadian or American, but they had a copy of Vault with them. So uh, mm. on went Vault onto the stereo, we're all sat around, there's a big barbecue going on, we're all listening to Def Leppard, and I'm in absolute heaven, because I've never ever been in a position where I'm surrounded by Def Leppard fans before, and I was, I remember being fascinated to get their version of Vault and seeing Fooling on it, and, and going, oh right, you got Fooling, we didn't, why yeah. did we not get Fooling, and of course it's because different markets, you know, it's a, it's a greatest hits collection, so it's where the songs were hits and what have you, but just something as small as that it was so interesting to me to see that different people actually had slightly different experiences of this album that was so utterly, I, I say, but I mean, it's truly life-defining. Def Leppard are my favourite band. It's, it, Def Leppard's music is the music that I go back to over and over and over again. And as you alluded to before, I will listen from anything, from the really cheesy end of pop metal, so like a, I don't know, a Motley Crue or, uh, or Scorpion sort of type thing, but then right up to obituary and death you know stuff like this I, I absolutely love all of it but the band i always go back to is is the gateway it's def leopard so paul i've actually got the list i think this is the uk version of what was on vault so if i just yeah, rattle on. if i just rattle through these songs that were on vault you tell me 14 year old paul which of these songs are these sort of the ones that are really standing out for you then so you got Pour Some Sugar On Me, Photograph, Love Bites, Let's Get Rock, Two Steps Behind, Animal, 
heaven is heaven is that's only on the uk one i don't think that was a hit outside of europe it might have been in australia you've got rocket you got when love and hate collide action make love like a man we can do a whole podcast on how that song's just wrong. Um, <laughs> and that's the first negative thing I think I've ever said about Death Leopard on on the podcast. I'm getting there. Have you ever needed someone so bad? Rock of Ages, Hysteria, bringing on a heartbreak. Oh, this one does have fooling on it. Maybe it's the American version. And then it says pour some sugar on me again. So maybe that's the different version of it. So 14-year-old Paul, well, Love and Hate Collide, that's the gateway drug. What other songs out on on that greatest hits are sort of really standing out for you? Did I miss, did you say Rock of Ages on there? Yeah. Was that yeah? Because so first of all, just two just before I get into the ones that I absolutely loved straight yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned Make Love Like a Man, and I would happily sit and have a conversation about Make Love Like a Man <laughs> because uh, I I don't know how we excuse it. Uh, and Rock of Ages is one of them really weird ones, you know. I, that was one that I didn't get into at the time and for whatever reason still to this day rock of ages remains a bit of a mystery to me as to why it's so loved uh because it's it's it is one of my least favorite Def leopard songs which doesn't mean that i don't like it of course that's not what's meant by least favorite Def leopard songs um but that's a yeah that's just a kind of odd aside on that do you know, well do you know what i what i think it is i think i think rock of ages is a good live track and it's good if you're at a gig and whatever I suppose it's like if you think of like We Will Rock You or something by Queen, I'm sure it's great to be there sort of in a stadium, you know, sort of clapping your hands and doing everything. But if you're just sitting down and you're listening to it, it's probably not nuanced. But I, I know what you mean. I like Rock of Ages, but, but put it this way, when Def Leppard play and they, they have a list of songs that they would never drop, I wouldn't mind Rock of Ages, for example, and maybe Foolin' as well, being dropped every now and again and being replaced with with different songs. There's songs that I can actually live with ours. I would never want to go to a gig and you don't play Photograph, for example. I know what you mean. It's a great song. I really like it. But, yeah, it's not like in the, the higher echelons of Death Leopard for me either. So, yeah, yeah you, you're probably onto it with the live thing there. But in terms of your original question, I was scribbling down there as you're thinking through. I think, right, what were the songs that I had on heavy rotation uh, when I first got my hands on Anthony Ledbetter's copy of Vault. Um, and I wrote down nine of them, but the ones that really stood out at the time were Photograph, Love Bites, Rocket, yeah. Hysteria. They would have been the four that stood out. And what's interesting there is as well that um, that misses the kind of, the, what had been the two big UK hits, which had been Animal and Let's Get Rocked. I think, am I right in saying both of those had got to number two before? In the again, we're going back to the charts that were yeah. important in these days. Then animal get to number six actually, rather than yeah. That. Animal got to six. Let's get rock got to two, and uh, when love and hate collide got into two. It's, it was those four songs immediately, and then post that, what happened? I I missed slang completely because I was still I was just on vault. Simple as that. Fast forward to 1999, so it's a what four years later, and Euphoria is released, and again in terms of promotion. I'd been so I've been listening to Vault like non-stop for four years, basically. Did you then go back and like sort of like listen to Hysteria or Pyromania, or are you existing on a on a diet of Vault alone for those like three or four years? Bizarrely, I just existed on Vault, but at some point, I can't remember when in 1990. It's in the summer. It's summer 1999, isn't it? When uh, Euphoria is released, so I remember it was a boiling yeah. hot day when I bought it. it. They had been on TFI Friday which again for for listeners outside the UK yeah. was um 
an anarchic television show that went out at 6 p.m. every Friday on a mm. terrestrial television channel in the UK and had live bands on it amongst all sorts of crazy features. But for, for a good two or three years, it was, again, a real serious part of the UK cultural landscape. TFI yeah, yeah. Friday. it was massive. They had all of the big hitters on it as well. And I remember seeing De- Def Leppard on that. And Def Leppard in the UK are not a particularly cool band, but that program was very much all about like cool Britannia as the thing was going sort of like, you know, at the time. And it was like a lot of like what you would put in inverted commas, cool bands. And that's why I was thrilled to say the least when I saw Def Leppard on that, because I would never ex- ever expected them to have let a band like Def Leppard on. Exactly. They should have been on their, on their knees thanking them. Well, funny enough, on the show, I remember they did treat them with a great deal of reverence. Actually, they, they really, they really did sort of do the thing of, you know, we, we have this, legendary British rock band here with us tonight. And they performed Promises, and it was just brilliant, and I loved it. Uh, it's available on YouTube, I think, that performance. I'm sure I've, I've, I've watched it back again. Yeah, I thought I'd watched it back again. So I went out and bought Euphoria, ultimately. And it's, and again, in a way, in terms of my kind of love story with Def Leppard, it's almost fortunate, perhaps, in a way, that Euphoria, because I went straight from Vault, which was listening to basically all of the classically produced leopard sound stuff mm. and in missing slang at that time it meant that i didn't just put them down because i might have just at that stage in my life i was written it off as oh, i can survive on vault and vault alone but yeah. given that euphoria was a hark back to that particular sound it was i remember it was so exciting for me to buy it it was a hot sunny day and i went and bought it from woolworths in Ermston, which is a little suburb of manchester yeah and uh, I remember legging it straight home, straight on the Ghetto Blaster, as it was at the time, and uh, and playing it all the way through, which I'd never, I don't think at that stage of my life I'd ever, ever done with any record before. And so, I mean, that was it then. I, I mean, I was already in probably even before I bought Euphoria, really, but that was just the the icing on the cake for me. And, um, and funny enough, I, I do, on the specific subject of when love and hate collide, there's there's... And before I forget, there is another little story I must tell. Yeah, go so, for it. About four years ago, I got a Facebook message uh, out the blue from a lad who I hadn't seen for maybe 16 years at the time. And he, he, he sent me a message because he, he lived in Australia. I'm, I'm not sure where he is now, uh, but Chris Farrelly, if you're listening, hello. Um, he uh, he lived in Australia and he'd, when Love Naked and I had come on the radio, and he'd messaged me uh, to basically say, oh, Paul, you know, this song has come on. It always makes me think of you, blah, blah, blah. Because back way back, so this is back in the late 90s, early 2000s, but when I was in sixth form. So this is, again, for overseas listeners, I'd be age 16, 17, 18, around about that age. Uh, we used to go into, into school, sixth form together. And if we were driving in the car, every mixtape I ever had had when love and hate collide on it so it would consistently be played in the car and chris farrelly or faz uh, as he was known he he wasn't into that sort of music at all not not rock music not nothing it just was not his scene but he loved this song he absolutely loved when love and hate collide and he would make me put it on in the car so we could sit along and sing this song together and 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 this was a thing. And years and years later, he hears it on the radio and his first thought from 12,000 miles away is to send me a message and say, this just makes me think of you immediately. And not only is that lovely, it also 
to me, so the thing about when love and hate collide, and both you and I have said that we don't really have a wide friendship, a wide Def Leppard friendship group. And indeed, I've got friends who are actively hostile towards Def Leppard, which amazes me. It's the one song that pretty much all of my friends will at least stomach, and in many cases, actively like. But it's there's just something about this particular song, and it may be the fact that it did so well in the UK. It ultimately topped out at number two. As we've discussed, it was kept off number one, which is a crying shame for many, many reasons. But it definitely caught more than just my imagination and continues to. I don't think I've been to a wedding in the UK where it's not played. I agree with that because it's one of the few songs that my wife um, like. I mean, she she she's obviously put up with Def Leppard over the years, and actually, I had on uh, work it out um, off slang mm-hmm. um, the other day. And she actually came in and said, "What's this? This is actually good." Insinuating that what I what I listen to isn't good, but she really likes when um, Love and Hate collide. I've often thought, what is it about that song that people where there's a bit of crossover appeal? I may be wrong here, and this this is just my own theory, but. I think it's one of probably two songs or two periods in Def Leppard's existence where they actually sound quite contemporary. They sound like they fit in with what else is on the radio um, at the time. And I think in 1995, certainly in the UK, because it wasn't a hit at all in, in America, I think it only got to like number 60 or something like that. It was like it was the opposite of a hit. But here in the UK, is you know, it's got to number two. And I think it sounds very contemporary and it it fitted everything that was on the radio at that time and I think it was the year before and I wonder if Def Leppard took this off Bon Jovi but I think Bon Jovi had a much more successful 1990s than than Def Leppard did. They were able to adapt their sound to a more radio friendly commercial sound that sounded contemporary in a way that I think Def Leppard struggled with a little bit. It's only I think the year before in 1994 that they released their greatest hit, uh, Crossroads, and it has the mm. song Always on it, which yeah. is, again, wasn't a hit off a previous album. It was a one-off song that was put on their greatest hits album. And I think if you listen to Always and think that that did really well, I think, like, worldwide, actually, in, in 1994, you could sort of see a little bit how that paves the way for something like When Love and Hate Collide and also the way When Love and Hate Collide sounds a little bit I don't know, it, it, it feels in the same ballpark sonically, even down to, uh, we discussed the uh, the video, didn't we? And it's the extended <laughs> video with the with the, the black and white section in it, which is, you know, there's I don't even really understand what's going on, but there's a taxi driver and there's a couple, and I, I don't know, it's a bit strange, but even that reminds me a little bit of the narrative that plays out in uh, the Always video by Bon Jovi, you know, where... She finds a husband um, or a boyfriend having an affair or whatever. I don't know. It just feels like it fit at that time. I think the only other time with Def Leppard are probably contemporary in the UK, at least, is around like the release of Animal. I mean, like the whole hysteria is like quite timeless and whatever. But I think outside of that, Def Leppard always sound a little bit Def Leppardy, and <laughs> like I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think necessarily Def Leppard transposes to radio in the UK in, in the way that something like Bon Jovi does it. Maybe that might have something to do with it. It's, it's that it, it sounds of the time a lot more than maybe other Def Leppard eras do. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that's a really, really good observation. The always thing, now you say it, it makes complete and perfect sense. Um, funnily enough, I, so we were just talking about so songs, therefore, that maybe captured the imagination of people more so than... than I mean, obviously, in the UK, there's not been many Def Leppard songs that captured the full kind of public imagination, but When Love and Hate Collide is, is one of them. Um, it's, it's probably just about the only Def Leppard song that my other half can stomach and i mean she probably will i'm gonna force her to listen to the podcast put it that way but what's like from her she is someone who she 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 loves rock and metal she's she loves really silly sort of metal she she's really into power metal at the moment this is what we're getting in the house all the time we're getting christmas power metal in our house at the moment it's uh majestica check them out everyone bizarre um but and and yet for whatever reason and she likes bon jovi and, and somehow Def Leppard don't tick the box for her. And we've had discussions slash arguments about this tons of times because we're into a lot of obviously the same music. The musical taste is very much the same, but not this particular band. And yet this one song is one that, yeah, she can absolutely sit and stomach, if you like, you know, if, if I'm going to be, maybe that's about as far and as generous as I'm prepared to go. And you make a very interesting point about the contemporary sound, which probably ties into the production of the song as well, because I know they broke from slang to record it. And whilst it sounds, it's unquestionably sounds like a Def Leppard song. There is definitely a slightly rougher or coarser edge, at least to the vocal sound. Yeah. I think happening here, it's not as heavily processed or as heavily layered. Almost. It Mm. sounds liver. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, so I think yeah, I think you're very much onto something there, Paul. I have enjoyed this chat immensely. Thank you very, very, very much for coming on, sharing all your thoughts on when love and hate collide. It's been massively appreciated, and I'm sure everyone who's listened has enjoyed listening to it as much as I have. One last thing: if anyone wanted to look you up on any sort of social media that you're on or anything, and have a chat with you about all things Def Leppard, where can they catch you? So I'm at Big Chief Outlaw on Twitter, but be warned if you come, uh, it's mm, there's a lot of politics there uh, aside from music. So uh, if you want to talk Def Leppard, direct message me. Don't look at my timeline. <laughs> so there you go. That was me and Paul talking a few weeks ago about When Love and Hate Collide. I hope you enjoyed that. Right, next episode of Def Leppard will be out in January 2021. It's going to be about the song Wasted. If anyone has any contributions that they want to make about this song, and also anything about Steve Clark in particular, because I think we'll make it a bit of a Steve Clark special, seeing as it coincides with the anniversary of his death, 30 years, then anything about Steve Clark, anything about Wasters that you want to contribute, then you can email me on deflepod2020 at gmail.com. Right, until then... Take it easy, take care, and see you soon.